Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm here with my new friend, J.W. Ross. What's up, J.W.? Oh, glad to be here. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Yes, by context, I uh, got connected to J.W. through a dear friend named Cal Callahan. We were uh, here in Austin, and I was sitting down sharing a little bit of my journey, and uh, a gentleman came out and gave me a bottle of this. Feel free. And tell you the truth, I've been looking for this product for a number of years. Many of my listeners will know I, I did a year and a half off alcohol journey, and it was truly a life-changing experience. Uh, but one of the things I've been missing and, and, and hoping for is uh, a replacement where I can still get that, that, that positive uh, benefit, uh, positive effect in terms of relaxation, kind of um, social lubricant, if you will, but without the deleterious effects of alcohol, without the hangover, et cetera. And my buddy Cal told me this was Kava and Kratom and that it was amazing. And matter of fact, I've now been doing my, own, my next no alcohol challenge, uh, which I'm going to invite others to join me on. And I've been using this regularly and it's been profound. And so I wanted to invite the founder and chief uh, formulator on, JW, so that you could share a little bit uh, about what went into the creation of Feel Free. Yes. Um, so... Like you, um, I started, you know, having some challenges with, with alcohol uh, quite some time ago. Uh, and uh, based on that, uh, actually wound up in treatment, inpatient treatment for uh, 90 days and uh, came out of that. Have not, that's been 12 years ago. I haven't had anything to drink since then, but um, I came out, had a much better life than what I had when I went in, uh, but I still didn't feel uh, comfortable in social settings, um, felt kind of awkward, um, and just didn't, you know, just wasn't in the happy space that I wanted to be. Um, so I started trying to figure out, you know, uh, what I could do that wouldn't uh, create all the negativity that alcohol was causing for me, you know, prior to treatment. And so I went out in the market, tried all the euphorics that were available uh, legally. Um, and, you know, all of those didn't really do anything for me. And then I started trying the illegal stuff and most of those did too much for me. Or the, <laughs> the, or the feeling wasn't the feeling that I was, you know, going after. I, I don't really want to veg out on the couch uh, I don't want to be able to not drive a car and I wanted something that I could use, you know, on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, feel good, but be, you know, be productive also. Yeah. So let's go into that because I think, you know, obviously the prevailing, um, social lubricant, the prevailing way that people bond, at least culturally here in the U.S. and in many countries around the world, is oftentimes around alcohol. And, Correct. you know, as we know, uh, alcohol is definitely uh, one of the more harmful substances in regards to, uh, you know, 
deleterious consequences as it relates to, you know, individuals as well as, you know, obviously drunk driving, a variety of different things that, that can happen uh, when people get carried away with alcohol. And it is highly addictive. Um, so, yeah. so I'd love to talk a little in a little bit about your journey from addiction, uh, out of addiction and how, how you came to feel free. But to start with, I'd, I'd love to actually learn a little bit more about kava and kratom because i think for many people i i actually had kava for the first time in israel um but it's not something that is at least at the moment commonly uh used or available uh in in a lot of the places that i visit and yeah. kratom i i i only recently heard about actually in mexico as a as a as a cocktail replacement uh that i that i wound up experimenting with mm-hmm. but i haven't had the two together until feel free and i found the the results to be remarkable insofar as depending on how much i drink i either have for me and i'll speak to my own experience a bit of a of a, a reduction in anxiety, a bit of a uh, a calming of the nerves, and if I drink a little bit more, uh, I have uh, a bit of a euphoric feeling, a bit of a uh, uh, that kind of giddy, fun feeling that I I used to get off of a few drinks. But the beauty is, I haven't had any hangover. I haven't had right. any any. Right. I, I haven't woken up in the morning and felt lack of motivation, dead to the world, headache, et cetera, which is the journey that I think many of us have had as it relates to alcohol. <laughs> so, so can you share a little bit more about like how you came to this formulation and, and what exactly is Kava and, and Kratom? Okay. Um, you know, more specifically to what you just talked about, uh, about alcohol. The other thing is you're never going to wake up the next morning and go, God, I wish I hadn't done that or said that, or I don't remember what I did or, or, or you know, said, in fact, just the opposite. You're going to be more cl- clear as to, you know, what happened uh, the day before. So it has the social lubrication of alcohol without the downside, which is what I was looking for. So as I said, I came out of treatment. Uh, was looking for something that made me feel, you know, magical, like that first drink of alcohol that I had, you know, a long time ago. Uh, tried everything I could get my hands on, either didn't do anything at all, did too much. And um, I became obsessed with trying to figure out, you know, something on my own. So I basically went out and, and gathered up all the different substances and plants around the world. Like I'm, I'm a extreme researcher when i get on something like this i just get obsessed with it and i had plenty of time on my hands because i just sold the company that i was had built prior to that so i just kind of delved off into it uh gathered up you know hundreds of different plants from around the world different strains started you know set a lab up in my house and started mixing them um, and trying to figure it out that was about a two-year process uh, and all the different thousands of combinations that I tried, I finally found the right two plants, the right two strains at the right percentages to give me that feeling that I felt when I had the first drink of alcohol. Hmm. And, uh, I can remember exactly when it happened. It was just like a, you know, it was, you know, it was just an incredible experience. I mean, I'm like, you know, this is what I've been looking for. And I was sharing, you know, with friends and family, some of the 
other stuff that I was doing. And when I started sharing this with, with, with them, they're like, you know, cause I, at this point, at that point in time, I had no intention on commercializing this. Uh, but they started, you know, trying it and they're like, Oh my gosh, you need to, you, know, you need to share, you know, share this stuff and sell it. Mm. And, uh, that's, you know, what started, but specifically, uh, to Kava and Kratom. Uh, so you have, there's, uh, about a handful of plants around the world that, that are used for social lubricators. Uh, you have coca leaves in Central and South America. You have kana in South Africa. You have uh, kava in the Pacific Islands. And you have uh, kratom in Southeast Asia. And then you have alcohol. And alcohol started out in China and Europe. What's interesting about to me is that of all those, only the alcohol is highly processed. Hmm. All the rest of them used in their native uh, settings for thousands of years were used in their, their just the way mother nature made it. Uh, alcohol is highly processed and alcohol is a way outlier as far as creating health and social issues, uh, which, you know, Further is my belief that any type of processed substance you put in your body is going to cause problems if, mm. if it's put in there in any quantity at all. So um, kava is the root of a pepper plant uh, from the Pacific Islands. Uh, and then the kratom is a leaf of a tree that's in the coffee family that uh, is grown throughout Southeast Asia. And the ratio that I settled on was 10 to one uh, kava over kratom. Uh, I did uh, come up with a process with the kava for removing the flavonoids A and B, which have been associated with issues, uh, can be associated with some people with liver issues. So I patented or have patent application filed a process to remove those two components from the kava. Uh, other than that, there's no other processing done. It's fully natural. Yeah, I think that's powerful. Actually, when I was doing my research on Kava, that is one of the things that I had, I was going to ask a question about. So I'm glad that mm -hmm. you actually mentioned it because I was like, you know, with anything, are there deleterious, you know, consequences? Are there, you know, any, anything that one should be wary of? And I, I think to your to your point around processing, I think it's it's so poignant, right? Because let's use for example uh, cocaine, right? Highly mm -hmm. illicit substance yep. around the world, um, and yet coca leaves, which is what cocaine right. is processed from, are actually considered uh, by many predating cocaine, right? right? Just the coca leaves as a sacred plant medicine because um, they're, they're actually highly alkalizing. They're, they're considered a superfood. I know for many indigenous populations, it's called mambe, which mm -hmm. I have actually tried the powder of. And it's a, it's interesting because it's a stimulant. It, it, and it, at least in my experience, it's, it's not, it's actually less jarring than a cup of coffee Right. But it gave, it gave me a very even uh, energy without crash. And, the, mm -hmm. you know, coca leaves would be chewed for thousands of years to help right. uh, with workers. It would enable, you know, greater endurance with running. And it wasn't until, you know, 
people tried to process coca leaves, which they did to make cocaine with gasoline and all kinds of horrible substances that they made what I would call a scourge on the planet, which is cocaine, uh, mostly because of the, the, you know, the illicit activity that happens around it and all of the bloodshed that, that is, has resulted in that illicit uh, substance. But the actual plant prior to processing, which is the coca leaf, is, uh, is actually a, a miracle plant. And it's unfortunate that it's been attached to this illicit activity. But I'm, I always love when I find, which for me, trying coca leaves came late in, late in life, uh, with kava and kratom that, that also recently just came into my life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's amazing. It's amazing to find these kind of what I would call miracle plants that have been used for millennia by different cultures, but somehow haven't crossed into the mainstream. For me, it's like, what would it be like? You know, you know, I can't imagine, but like coffee, obviously I've been drinking for a number of years, but if someone gave me my first cup of coffee, you know, which I love coffee, uh, you know, at this stage in life, I would be elated to have discovered it. And for me, I kind of feel that way about Kava and Kratom. Uh, I feel like, and, and granted, I've, I've only had them once in, in natural form and, and now uh, have been have been partaking in them through feel free. But it really has uh, opened up for me a world of possibilities. I mean, because I can carry I carry basically these with me. So I'm, when I go have drinks with friends now, the other day I was here in Austin, I went to Soho House and they had alcohol and I actually took out my bottle of feel free. Right. But I but I love it because I can actually carry it with me. I, I actually flew with it on the airplane. It was under two yeah. ounces. So it was, it was totally cool in that regard. Um, but for me, it's opened up a new world of possibility in terms of, of, of still having that, that kind of positive effect, but without, again, uh, the negative consequence. How has it been used traditionally? Like as you, as you researched and you came upon this combination, I'm sure it involves some trial and error. But in South Southeast Asia and in the South Pacific, how how was uh, how were these plants used in, traditionally? So um, the kratom uh, is used uh, primarily in Southeast Asia as uh, very similar to the coca leaves in Central South America. It's used for workers in the field uh, to uh, have endurance, stamina, uh, but all and and also not only endure long days, but actually enjoy them because it's, it's the uh, social lubrication part of it. So they, they take the leaves and they uh, uh, grind them up and they, uh, they make a tea out of it. So if you're traveling through, and I spent almost three years in Southeast Asia, if you're traveling, you know, through rural Southeast Asia, you'll see these roadside places that have these little bags uh, that are filled with, uh, with Kratom tea and, they drink it throughout the day, very similar to what we we do with coffee here. Um, and what's you know fascinated me again, Plant Geek, is the fact that it's in the coffee family. It's just another type of coffee tree. Hmm. Um, the uh, kava, again, is a root of a pepper plant. Uh, they take that and um, and grind the roots up again and. Uh, make a uh, a drink out of it um the the actual the traditional uh way of doing it was that they would have uh, children chew it Hmm. and then spit it out and uh 
the enzymes and the saliva would help break it down. And uh, that's what they drank. Uh, they don't do that process anymore. But uh, my first experience actually with kava was done in the traditional form. Really? Yes. How was that experience? Um, we had way too much of it. <laughs> we, uh, I was in uh, Tana, Vanuatu, uh, which is a group of islands between uh, Fiji and, and New Zealand. And uh, we got invited by the village chief to uh, have a ceremony with him and 12 or 13 other guys. And we sit up all night uh, drinking kava and passing kava around and, and uh, we're howling at the sun when it came up the next morning, but uh, a, a wonderful experience. Wow, powerful. I mean, I think these are, these are kinds of some of the things I live for is, is having these traditional, uh, these experiences in, in different cultures where you, where you get access to um, what I would call coveted experiences that aren't, that aren't, that aren't often yeah, available. And, to and what I remember stuck in my mind was that, you know, we had a wonderful time. We we're all laughing, you know, and we couldn't hardly communicate at the beginning of the night, but by, by the, you know, the morning we were communicating extremely well, great time, you know, got some rest, woke up, felt great. You know, if I had done that with alcohol, I'd have been, you know, a day or two trying to recover uh, from, yeah. from the carnage and also, you know, no telling what I would have done that I would have been, you know, wouldn't have been happy about, but uh you know, back to your point about the processing, um, it's fascinating to me because, uh, you know, you run into people that are, you know, will sit there and tell you how healthy they are and how they really uh, don't eat processed foods and, uh, you know, and they'll have a drink in front of them. Yeah. And I'm like, that is one of the most processed foods that you can put in your body. Plus, it has a tremendous amount of sugar in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't they don't seem to connect the dots between that because alcohol is so deeply ingrained into our society. Uh, you know, festivals, birthdays, holidays, you know, it, it's in the family structure. And, you know, and I can remember being in situations where I was made to feel very uncomfortable because I wasn't drinking mm -hmm. because everybody else is, and they, you know, they'd be making almost making fun of you. Um, I like this because like you said, I can, you know, I can have a shot and, you know, have a good time with everybody else and not, you know, not feel, you know, uh, disconnected. Um, you know, the, the processing part of it, it, it's interesting that you brought up, uh, cocaine because again, I'll, I'll get off of my plant geek side, but, uh, Cocaine has 53 alkaloids and to make, I mean, co coca leaves have 53 alkaloids to make cocaine. They take solvents like gasoline you mentioned, and they extract two of those alkaloids out. And when they're doing that, you're able to put, you know, thousands of times more of those alkaloids in your body than you could. If you were chewing leaves, you just couldn't physically get that much in. And it becomes a much, much different experience. It becomes way more addictive and, you know, way more harmful for you, both, you know, health and relationship wise. They've started doing the same thing with Kratom. Um, you know, we take things in here in the West and, and, and distort them, you know, uh, 
because we're used to coming from a synthetic background. So they, they take kratom leaves, which have, again, 50 some alkaloids in them and they extract mainly two out of that using solvents or CO2. And they create, uh, you know, it's more about getting high. It's, and they don't last near as long and you don't want another one, I want another one, I want another one. Um, so, you know, in doing this, and we're the only shot on the market that's, that's done this is all the rest of them are extracts or synthetics. Uh, we're the only one that's the full natural leaf uh, without anything taken out of it on the, on the Kratom side. Yeah, I think that's a very uh, potent thing to share um, because humans, I think, have a tendency to like to play with things. Uh, mm-hmm. And sometimes, uh, sometimes that can be uh, an evolution. And sometimes that can be, um, I, I would say, a scourge. And in my uh, you know, my opinion, I feel like Mother Nature has been evolving for millennia. And, you know, that isn't to say that everything obviously is made for human consumption, but those things that are made for human consumption generally have evolved uh, over thousands of years to uh, be optimal uh, and have a, an orientation that are that are that are that where there's a symbiotic relationship. Right. And, and I think that's, you know, I just turned 60 last month and I think that's taken me a long time to figure this out, but I think it's exactly that these plants evolved over thousands of years and we evolved over thousands of years and we, and we evolved together. Yes. And we, and the plant and the, the person figured out how to connect. Yes. And, 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 you know, have the best relationship they could have. And then we come along and we start stripping things out and all of a sudden now we're having problems physically and, you know, and spiritually and, you know, socially, and we're going, why, you know, mm-hmm. and the first thing we do is we look at the plant, we go, the plant's bad. <laughs> That's a bad plant. When <laughs> it's been, been used for thousands of years with, with nothing but positive, you know, things happening. And just recently we, you know, we've done what we've done. And, and but instead of looking at ourselves and saying, we're the, we're the problem. We look at the plant and say, you know, we need to, we need to, ban that plant that plant's bad mm-hmm. which to me is is uh is crazy yes and you know when you go online it's not so much for kava but especially for kratom you're going to see a lot of negative stuff but it's all based on these synthetic synthetics and extracts which i know myself from testing i actually tested some of them very quickly will we'll raise your liver enzymes uh, the natural form will not, but if you use any quantity at all of the synthetics and extracts, uh, you know, within 60 days or so, you'll see an elevation of liver enzymes, or I did anyway, hmm. which to me is a, is a really good sign that, you know, <laughs> you should, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. So with the natural consumption then, um, mm-hmm. and you're, is there I mean, I, I just generally have uh, an overall orientation that even anything, even good things oftentimes can be good when you take a pause or a break. Right. Um, do you find um, with the natural formulation, like 
I mean, for me, it's kind of like fasting, you know, like food, even nutritious food is great, but that doesn't mean that fasting sometimes isn't optimal to make sure that, right. that, 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 that food is then absorbed and the nutrition is appreciated, et cetera, even more once you return from your fast, even if that's intermittent fasting. Are there any risks to consumption currently? And is there, is it helpful at times to, to take a pause and then return if, if within the consumption process or what can you say about that? Because I, I will say I was introduced to feel free mm -hmm. probably a month ago. And I will say with the exception of a few days, I think I've had it almost, <laughs> I pretty much had it daily since then. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy it. But yeah, is there anything I always like to obviously share transparently as, yeah. as, as much so, as I can with the audience? So, you know, I've, and that I was the first one that I'm aware of that has ever mixed these plants together. Mm. Uh, once I realized I was going to commercialize it and, you know, masses would be consuming it, I wanted to make sure that it, you know, it wasn't going to hurt somebody. So what I did is I did what I would call abusive levels of it for extended periods of time. And I compared my blood chemistry versus my annual chemistry and didn't see any changes. I then had several other people do the same thing. And then, you know, subsequent to that, we now have quite a few professional athletes that are using it uh, as a performance enhancement. And they've gone through, you know, extensive uh, testing, performance level testing, blood testing, and then uh, we actually have partnerships with three major universities, University of Southern California, University of Texas, Florida State University, where we are now the official tonic of their athletics. Mm. Uh, and they did the same thing. They went through a full vetting process to make sure that, you know, it wasn't something that's going to cause harm. Like you said, it's like anything else. If you do way too much of it, <laughs> of anything, even water, it's going to hurt you. Uh, so you have to use it in moderation. As far as uh, daily use, uh, you know, one of the main things that people ask me, is it addictive? And my response is, in my experience, anything that makes you feel good is addictive. Mm. If that's cheese, sugar, uh, sex, whatever it is, I mean, if it makes you feel better, you want, you want more of it. Um, that's not really, I think the question you should ask, what you should ask is if I use this on a regular basis, is it going to hurt me? Is it going to physically hurt me or is it going to cause problems in my relationships or in society in general? And what I can tell you is that, you know, from our experience and the, uh, the work we've done, we don't see that that's the case. Again, that's using full natural leaf and, and, and what we're doing. It, the, the synthetics and the extracts are a totally different story. I'm glad you draw that distinction because I think, you know, oftentimes things are just bundled together. And I found that as well. I mean, I, I, I'll share personally, I have a deep reverence for indigenous cultures and, and plant medicines. Um, but what I've found in the uh, entheogenic plant medicine space is, unfortunately, I think there are a lot of people who just, uh, because of our Western view, we just think of something as kind of synonymous, right? Like, oh, ayahuasca is ayahuasca or mushrooms are mushrooms. And that's 
that's those things are those are not that is not the case and in fact dangerously so um and who where you sort where's that where these medicines are sourced from and how they're administered is integral to the experience it's not just like a, a pharmaceutical orientation where one it just one pill is the same as another pill so to speak no it's um you know most people are familiar with cannabis and, and know that there's you know bunches of different strains and they do different things and you know it's no different in any of these other plants mm-hmm. um you know every mushroom's not the same it may look similar but it's you know it can have a totally different uh, profile to it when you start getting you know into the chemical you know makeup of it Um, yeah the same thing with these these plants and we're actually growing uh both cob and kratom in in, uh southern florida Mm. and i'm working with the university of florida and we're i think the first ever to really go in and start mapping out uh all these different alkaloids and cobaloctones and what we're finding is that environment uh, influences a lot um yes in that, uh, you know, you can have it grown in the same place, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the same every season uh, based off what's even, you know, more fascinating to me, again, Plant Geek, is um, we, uh, the botanists there, uh, see potential in this becoming a natural herbicide because what these cobaloctones and, and the alkaloids, what they're used for in the plants is they're used to fight off funguses and other types of bacteria because mm. they're na- you know, namely grown in areas that are hot and very humid. There's a lot of, you know, things like that, that, you know, try to attack them. So we ran some experiments where we introduced pests into the orchard and we would monitor the alkaloid levels of plants, you know, a hundred yards away. And very quickly, when you introduce that pet pest to the side of the or- orchard, all the way across the other side, the, the plants started raising their alkaloid levels. Wow. So they were they were communicating chemically. I'm not sure through the ground, through the air, whatever, but they were talking to each other and you know telling them that there's a threat coming, and the plants were responding to it. So, I mean, that stuff is just is fascinating to me. It's mind blowing. Uh, I'm sure you've seen fantastic fungi, um, the, 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 the picture, the motion picture, but anyone who's yeah. listening who has yet to see fantastic fungi, which really talks about the mycelial networks. But what you're reminding me of is, is Paul Stamets. Uh, and what I loved about his work is, yes, of course, there are profound potentialities of different species of mushrooms, right, from lion's mane to reishi to chaga. Um, and, and of course, there are the, 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 the psychotropic mushrooms as well. But what's potent and powerful is the remediation capabilities of mushrooms, right? Like that, that you can take a toxic oil spill. And the only thing that makes that, that soil uh, useful or habitable again is actually uh, through, through mushrooms. And, and actually now he's creating these natural uh, herbicides and insecticides using these mushrooms. And I think there's so much intelligence inherent in these plants. And I love that you're a plant geek because I, I feel like we're, we're so, we're so early in our understanding, oh, our yeah, true understanding of the intelligence of these plants. And, that, and that's really what we're, you know, looking at there is what can we do not to genetically modified, 
but what can we do using mother nature to get the optimum, you know, ratio of these different alkaloids to really, and, and also try to standardize it so that it's not so, you know, it doesn't vary so much from season to season. Mm. Um, and then, you know, as you said, I, I truly believe that we're just scratching the surface on what these plants can do. And when I say what these plants, I'm not talking about just cob and kratom, but I'm talking about all the other plants that have been used for thousands of years by native societies to, to, you know, help with, you know, a myriad of different things. Um, you know, if you look at it worldwide, we're an outlier. We went down the synthetic path and, and the only reason I can think of that we went down the synthetic path is because it, it had to do with money. Mm -hmm. You can't patent plants. Yes. Uh, you need to have a formula that's, you know, and that needs to be synthetic to patent it, to be able to build a moat around, you know, what you're, the, the drug that you're trying to sell. So um, I, you know, when I was in Southeast Asia, I kind of got deep into Eastern medicine. Um, and I'm not saying that's the end all. I think some of that's, it's pretty crazy, but I also don't think synthetic right off the bat is for everything is the answer either. Yeah. I think the answer is somewhere in between. Um, and what I like about it is, and I, and I hate to say this, but I think the opioid epidemic, uh, as horrible as it's been, you know, killed close to a million people in the last 10, 15 years. Actually, the silver lining of that is, is that society is starting to wake up and realize, you know, maybe synthetic all the time, right off the bat, just because they say this is what you should take. Maybe I should, maybe I should think about that or research before I just jump off and do that. Hmm. Uh, because a lot of those drugs, the way that they're designed, they're designed for lifetime. They're like, you know, start taking this and take it the rest of your life. And you know, it creates all kinds of other issues. And they say, well, okay, now take this and take this. And what you find is you get these people that are in their seventies and eighties and they're taking 10, 15, you know, pills a day. And who knows what those uh, interactions are doing. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I just, I, I think I shared with you last time we had a phone call that I just, I actually devoured the series Dope Sick, uh, which yeah, is uh, an award-winning award series. I recommend everyone listening watch. And it, it shows a sort of 360-degree view of this uh, opioid epidemic um, that has ravished families um, and lives around the world. Um, but, but to your point, it, it's exactly right. I think most... Uh, most patented pharmaceuticals, and I'm not, I'm not vilifying. I mean, you know, pe penicillin is, uh, has, has, oh, has saved many lives. Yeah. yeah. But, but there, there are, there are, there are miracle, there are miracle uh, interventions that wherein a Western acute, uh, acute treatment is necessary. It can, it can save lives. However, I think a lot of pharmaceuticals, a great number of them are oriented towards, treatment of symptoms and, and right. create dependency, right? Because 
Unfortunately, our medical system is so attached to uh, a business model, right? Uh, we have a private, we have a private healthcare system, and it and and any corporation, it's literally their fiduciary responsibility to maximize shareholder gain. And how do you do that? Well, you create a dependency on something that that one needs to take throughout their life. So there's right. a there's there, unfortunately we have an incentivization mechanism which is antithetical in my view, to, in large measure to overall human well-being uh, in many regards. Uh, and obviously this is a nuanced topic, but that's why I have such a huge reverence for mother nature, which has no financial incentive <laughs> nor, nor orientation towards right. dependency and creating, uh, and creating, you know, uh, profit, right? I mean, the sun uh -huh. shines, we all need vitamin D, but the sun never asks for anything in return, right? Exactly. They, you know, the mother nature, the ocean, we, we have such a multitude of wealth. You know, I, I often think to myself, how lucky are we? You know, uh, you take any, take any billionaire, take a Steve Jobs, right? Genius. But Steve, Steve Jobs would have given up all his billions in a heartbeat for one more year of life, you know? And I think, yeah. on, unfortunately, only when we're confronted Oftentimes, with a life-challenging or threatening illness, do we fully appreciate um, what we already had as a default? Right. You know, it's it's uh, what's there's a statement. Someone said you have a, you have a hundred problems until you have a health issue, and then you've just got one. You know, exactly. and so I really feel like for me, health is our greatest wealth. And and I want to I want to circle back mm -hmm. a little bit to alcohol. I want and I also want to delve a little bit into your personal journey. Um, and okay. I want to share a little, little bit about mine, which is to say, part of what I want, why the part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show, and and this is an idea that I had, is one of the most uh, foundational things for me and pivotal changes I've made in life. I, I had a dear friend ask me a question. Actually, it was ten years ago, and the question was this. And I, I'd, lo I'd love if you think about this for yourself, JW. Um, and that is, if you were to take one thing away from your life and you were to add one thing to your life, so a lever, one is reduction, one's addition. If you were to take one thing away and add one thing, what would those be to have the most profound transformational impact on your life? And 10 years ago, my answer was the same as it was two years ago. And that was if I let go of alcohol, if I if I did not drink alcohol, and if I if I pulled in or or added a profound, loving, committed relationship to my life, I would say six months after that, I would be in a fundamentally different place. And it took me about eight years to really experiment. And I, to be clear, I wasn't addicted to drinking, but in in New York where I was living at the time. You know, social drinking was deeply embedded in the culture. I would have an alcoholic drink five nights a week, uh, sometimes, sometimes, you know, almost every night of the week. And I didn't even like it. It was just part of the culture was it's just what you did. Right. And so when I finally, uh, two years ago, decided to do a 30 day challenge, which I'm going to invite everyone to at the end of this show to join me in because I'm going to do it again. And my main tool in, in fostering that is going to be <laughs> utilizing the feel free. Yeah. Um, but, but was this, this notion of taking a break from alcohol. Um, yeah. and, and I'd, I'd love to hear, I know, I know you've had a, 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 in somewhat more of a more poignant journey, but one of the things that I really liked about your story as I was doing research, as I mentioned, 
and I'll pause here in a moment and, and give, go back to listening. But what I love about you, your story is, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're not your traditional plant medicine advocate. No, you know, I not, no. and I have a huge, huge reverence for the indigenous cultures and a huge reverence for, for plants and their efficacy and pharmacopias. But you are, you know, you came from a traditional background, a, right. a businessman, a successful businessman. Uh, you are, you are not the face of, at least what I would consider the face of plant medicine, yet you're right. a, a passionate advocate for the plants. Can you share a little bit more about your own journey, specific as it relates to alcohol and how you became such a uh, profound advocate for, for the plants? Okay. I'm going to take a quick break if you don't mind. Yeah, no, no, please. Okay. Excellence. All right. So yes, please share a little bit, if you will, JW, about um, kind of where you were in regards. To, I mean, you you had. I think the other piece is you had what I would call what what our society deems as success, right. which which we we have a presumption that once we have those things, money, uh, etc., uh, in abundance, that we are happy and fulfilled. Right. Um, I would, I would postulate, although I'm not certain, I'd love your, your feelings that, uh, given your relationship with alcohol, that may not have been the, you know, the place of, of full fulfillment and happiness. So I'd, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about where you were and how you got to where you are. Okay. Um, so, um, I grew up in Dallas and, um, you know, uh, energy business was prevalent, um, my friends were, you know, their families were all in that business and they seemed to have, uh, you know, more money and more stuff and all that than what my family had. So I was attracted to that and um, started spending time, you know, with my friends' uh, fathers and, you know, trying to learn the business and actually, uh, you know, got into the business starting, you know, at the very lowest level just a field labor um, and, but, you know, really had access to some of the guys that were at the top uh, on a social basis through, through their, you know, my mutual friends and um, was able to figure out the game early on and, uh, and had just, you know, what I envisioned success being, I had, you know, a hundred times that uh, by the time that I was in my, uh, late, late twenties. Um, you know, the, the big houses, the cars, the boats, the planes, um, you know, everything that, you know, I thought again, times a hundred that, you know, would make successful. Um, but what came with that was all the mentors that I looked up to these, you know, uh, wildcatters, oil and gas guys, they, had the motto, you know, you work hard, but you play even harder. And the, the common substance in that, there was a lot of other stuff too, uh, but the, the main substance was alcohol. And, um, you know, I had my first drink when I was um, 14, 15 years old. And uh, uh, I remember, you know, I still remember that distinctly. I mean, I, 
the first drink I had, it was a magical experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I went from not feeling comfortable in my own skin to feeling like the life of the party. Mm-hmm. And that started a, you know, a long relationship that, uh, you know, for, for quite some time was wonderful. Uh, but then eventually uh, it, kind of, it built kind of in relationship to me building all these material things. And uh, there was a pivotal point. Uh, I remember where I was, we were having a fundraiser actually for Obama uh, at three or 400 people at our house. And um, I was sitting in the bedroom um, and by myself and just realized that I was totally miserable. You know, I, had got to the point where, you know, I'd gone full circle and actually felt kind of uncomfortable and, you know, alone again. And, uh, of course my alcohol use had, you know, accelerated quite a bit. And then there was other issues, you know, that's crash car, you know, or, you know, go to a party and, you know, wake up the next day and go, you know, people go, well, I can't believe you did that, you know, or, and all of that kind of, uh, came to a climax with an intervention and uh, me going off to treatment uh, in uh, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, interesting facility because it specializes in doctors and airplane pilots. Uh, hmm. So um, I actually uh, roomed with uh, three doctors and um, you know, the, the treatment facility itself was wonderful, all kinds of, you know, meditation and that kind of stuff. But really for me, it was, there was one particular moment that wasn't at the facility, but it was just in the evening, us sitting around at the condo uh, watching TV. That was the pivotal point for me. And that was uh, the movie came on a beautiful mind with Russell Crowe. Mm. Um, and where he's, you know, psychotic and, and, um, you know, he's struggling with that. But towards the end of that movie, he's walking along with this arch nemesis and the guy goes, do you still see them? He goes, you seem to be doing better. And he looks over and of course it shows them, you know, and they're waving at him or trying to get him to come over his imaginary friends or enemies. And, um, it dawned on me that, uh, I'm no different than he is and that I've got these voices in my head telling me that I can control alcohol and that the next time is going to be different. And I keep doing that over and over and over again. So I'm, I'm engaging with them and listening to what they're, I think they're true when they're not They're They're, I've proven that over and over again, that they're not true. So his may be more severe than mine, but I'm still crazy in that respect in that I'm listening to these voices that are telling me bullshit and I'm, I'm acting on it over and over and over again. And it's hurting. It's hurting everybody around me. And just his way of putting it, he goes, I still see them, but I don't have to engage with them. Mm. And what I've been trying to do was make them go away. (laughs) And what I realized was that, you know, we all have this white noise that's going on in our head, you know, thousands of thoughts a day that, you know, 
uh, all kinds of things. We don't have to act on them. Just, and, you know, I think up until that point, I had operated off the, the belief that everything that I thought was true. And that, you know, if I thought it, that, you know, I would act on it. And I finally, you know, finally realized that you know, that's, that's, that's not the case for most of the things I'm thinking. And that to me was, you know, was life-changing as I came out and that's 12 years ago and I haven't had a drink since. Mm, and, congratulations. Uh, you know, it, uh, it just changed my whole life. I think there is an absolute reckoning because I think you, you know, you're talking about the voices inside, which all of us have. And then there's, I think the voices outside, um, you know, one of the, and I'm sharing this mostly for people who, who are considering uh, taking, let's call it at least a break from, from alcohol. Um, you know, I think as I considered it, I, I, I didn't quite go down so deep down the rabbit hole that I, that I stepped, I think, into addiction. But I, but, I, but I did really knock on the door of doing a cost-benefit analysis, which is what I would call it, right? Of, of thinking mm -hmm. through, okay, all right, well, what's the cost and benefit? You know, let, let's say on my best night with alcohol, like you said, when you first started drinking, you know, there are aspects of it that are, that can oh, be fun, that can be, can be fun. Yeah. But if I were, if I were to, if I were to say, okay, you can have four five, six hours of fun, but uh, guess what? The cost is not even getting into the biological costs, but like, you know, or psychological costs, but the whole next day you're going to feel like, uh, like crap and, and maybe even more than one day. And, and there's a whole cascade that will likely happen. I mean, I love my $2 New York slices and I would probably have three or four of them. And my, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not a big Coca-Cola drinker, but I'll tell you what day after alcohol, uh, you know, I, I'd hit yeah. those up and, you know, there's a whole, one of the things I realized when I took my little, when I did my little experiment of my break, Honestly, it's the fittest I've ever been. I didn't realize yeah. how many calories and how much my little pooch around my waist was attributed to uh, one, the calories I was drinking, but two, the things I would eat either when I was when I was a little buzzed or the next day when I was recovering from being a little buzzed. And, right. I, and, I, and so what I realized, and it was actually for me, you know, uh, I think you, you shared it beautifully, right? P you talk about people who won't eat any processed foods and this and that. And I've been surrounded by a lot of those folks because, you know, I'm in the health and wellness space. But I was thinking about it myself where I was like, you know, I eat, I spend all this money, you know, eating healthfully. I've got a sauna. I'm literally, you know, doing NAD and glutathione and all these things. And yet I'm putting this ostensibly poison into my body fairly regularly. And the cost was just, just way outsized the benefit. And, and so, you know, for those listening, I, I would love to uh, invite you, I guess, or challenge you uh, to join me. And I'm going to, I'm going to basically do another 30 days. I'll likely keep going, but I think it's always, I think, powerful to have a very tangible kind of period of time in which one commits to something. And, what I've seen with habit formation and or cessation is a, a lot of times it, it proceeds through segmenting, you know, and breaking things down into right. component parts. So, um, 
I, I just jumped in to try this out because I don't like to invite anyone into anything I haven't done myself or I'm committed to doing myself first and foremost because integrity is important to me. But what I found is this has been one of my greatest uh, secret sauces, uh, for, for lack of a better term, as I've gone through this process, because whenever I want to drink, I literally just put a couple of these in my pocket and, and, and I'm good to go. So um, I'll go into that more into detail in the show notes, but but basically, JW, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a basically a feel free challenge um, and 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 have people join me as it relates to getting off alcohol because what I've seen in my own life is uh, and you've been off 12 years. I I honestly you know I I have not I have not taken that long off, but I I do find that the clarity and the insights that come when I and and that's the piece I I don't think I hear many people talk about. Do you know, do you know a gentleman by the name of Stephen Pressfield by chance? I do not know. Okay. So he wrote a book called the war of art and uh, I highly recommend it, but in essence, he, he, you, you a bit remind me of him because he's, he's kind of, you know, he has, he has, he's a, he's got a, he was in the Marines. He's got a military background and yet he also is like, uh, you know, an art geek, you know, he, he talks a little <laughs> bit about, you know, things that, are, are maybe traditionally oriented towards a different culture. But what he talks about is the, this notion of the muse. And uh, the muse is the, that creative genius that, that speaks through you. Perhaps it's sort of analogous to the way you talked about the plants when they knew a predator was coming and they communicated with each other in ways that we don't fully understand. But I found that my creative process, and right now I'm writing my first book, is tremendously enhanced um, by my not going on the roller coaster ride that is alcohol consumption. I think what's interesting that, that I didn't appreciate is, um, and you touched on it a little bit, is that, yeah, physically, you very quickly start seeing changes, but mentally, um, there's changes that happen even five and six months later. Mm. That, that, stair step up and in, in mental clarity yeah um, and then you after you go through that you start realizing you know how impaired you actually were and i'm not talking about impaired you know crashing a car or something like that but just your thought processes mm -hmm. uh your relationships yeah. um you know your irritability level those types of things um that it's you know all of that's being affected and it, it's fascinating to me then to realize that it takes that long for that to really clear out of your system and you get to where you a natural state of where you you know where you would be or should be mm -hmm. um you know what's one of the most fascinating things about this whole journey has been you know i i put my number on the packaging and, you know, website and everything else. So I'm literally getting, you know, hundreds and hundreds of calls from people and alcohol is interesting because you, you know, you have this wedge of society that everyone knows has an alcohol problem and the treatment and all that, which was what I fit into. But then there's this, I think much larger wedge that, and the, these are the majority of the people that are calling me that, you know, they hadn't lost a job, they hadn't crashed a car, you know, that, but they just 
know that something's off a little bit mm -hmm. that, you know, it, they're not getting the same thing they did in the beginning. Uh, and they're having a hard time regulating it. And there's just a slip here or there, you know, and, um, what I'm coming to realize is that's a big, big wedge of society. Yeah. And it's, it's to the point where they're going, is there a choice? <laughs> Is there something else I can do? Because they still want to feel good. They still, you know, need something or, or want something. Uh, but they don't want all the other stuff, the negative stuff that comes with it. And um, it seems to me that, that um, especially younger women, um, there's a lot of that. I mean, based off the response that I've been getting, it's interesting to, to listen to the stories and just, you know, it's that inner voice that's telling them that, you know, there's something not quite right here, yeah. you know, or I'm, I'm, I'm starting to become a little bit fearful that, you know, it's, it's turning on me. Yeah. And I, and I want to do something about it before it does start creating all those problems and, um, you know, what we're hearing from most of them is, is that, you know, they start, you know, they try to feel free and that they either uh, don't want to drink at all anymore because they don't need to, or they cut way back, whereas they would have gone out and had, you know, six glasses of wine. They'll have one glass of wine and they're perfectly fine and they, you know, they have a good time and they move on. Uh, so, you know, I think that, um, back to what we said in the very beginning i mean these these plants are truly magical yeah. uh, you know what what they can do for us and anytime that you can move away from something that's processed to something that's natural i don't see how you go wrong i think you said it i think you hit it right on the head there uh, i put myself squarely in the category of what you mentioned which is you know this you know not necessarily ruining my life or an acute problem, but a subtle tug, an, a knowing, an inner knowingness that this was sort of stealing me of my, stealing, stealing away my potential. My, yeah, my, I'm not the best person I could be, or I'm not the person that I want to be. That's exactly uh, right. It's just knocking, knocking a little bit of that off. And you're like, you know, I don't like this. That's exactly right. And for me, at this phase in life, I'll tell you actually, because I think some people could relate to this. One of the big fears I had was actually uh, so much around dating, actually. Like, oh, okay, well, if I go on a date and I don't have a drink, is, that, is someone going to yeah. think it's weird or I have a problem? And what's been interesting is I have not had that at all. And in fact, uh, it's actually probably saved me. Like yeah. I remember one of my worst dates was I actually went out and this is scary, but I went out with a surgeon and I think she, she may have even been on call. I was, it was like one of the worst dates of my life, but she kept <laughs> ordering double vodkas. I, I, I don't know how many she had, but um, I realized, you know, granted some people are anxious. Uh, some people, you know, have problems, but for me, just taking that out of the equation has been profound because the, the one, the types of experiences I'm doing two the level of rapport that I'm building with those people and three, the degree to which I feel a different level of confidence in myself are, have all been uh, 
profound. And, and, and to your point earlier about like, I think the other subtle thing which some people might see in themselves is I, I'm way more irritable the day after I have drinks. And I think that it's cost me, if I'm honest. You know, it's cost me, I think, relationally in business and also personally over the years because it's like the antithesis of meditating. You know, one of the yeah. things they talk about with meditation is it gives you a bit more space between breath and between decisions. And that right. little space enables you to make way more effective decisions. I would almost argue that for me, at least alcohol is the opposite of that. It so shortens my, my, my emotion and my thinking that it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's exactly the opposite of how I want to show up as a human being. Mm. Um, so I think, I think what you're sharing, I think really resonates. And honestly, when I did my last 30 day challenge, I didn't have feel free as a tool, but the, the response was profound. Like the number of people that reached out and the, the, the degree to which they saw themselves differently, um, was, was extraordinary, which is why when I found this, I was like, all right, for those who are maybe on the fence, I think this is, this is, this is the deal right, breaker, right the deal maker. Yeah. 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 So I want to be mindful of your time. And I know we've been going for a little while now, so I'm going to kind of draw it to a close, but I want to ask you particularly, you know, what is your vision? You know, it's, it's not often. So I did a series called mind key. Um, because obviously the show is called Peak Mind and it's a lot of it is about cognitive optimization. And I think um, a couple of things. One, I think taking a break from alcohol is absolutely uh, aligned with cognitive optimization. Um, certain genetic types actually don't digest uh, alcohol well at all. And right. I, I've seen with family members um, where I've seen cognitive decline firsthand that that's something I'm very, very mindful of. Um, which is part of the reason why I'm, I'm really moving away from alcohol in general. But as you think about sort of the cultural context around feel free and some of your visions for where you'd like to see this grow and the types of people you'd like to see be introduced to um, this plant magic, this, you mm -hmm. know, this plant medicine, what, what is your ultimate vision for feel free? And what, what are some of the things, I mean, before we jumped on the call, you were talking about tonic bars, which I, which I love that idea. And it's one I've thought about for many years. Can you share a little bit, a bit, a bit more about where you're going? You know, as far as the, the, the tonic itself, I mean, it's to me, it's, a, you know, having lived through this whole process myself and, you know, now being older, you know, I, I want, people to have a natural choice uh, i don't want people to be trapped into thinking that to operate socially that they have to to consume alcohol uh, i'm fine with people you know that do that and don't have problems with it that's that's great but again i think there's a pretty large wedge of society that that's not working for them so uh the fact that i've you know, figured out a, a choice for them that seems to be working. Um, I, I think that's, you know, that's as good as it gets because I know, you know, when it's not working, what, what it feels like. And I know what carnage that can cause in your life. Um, so we'll continue to, I mean, we're, we're now in about 
almost 4,000 stores across the U.S. We're adding about 500 stores a month. I mean, the grand, uh, it's growing extremely rapidly. Uh, the other thing we're going to try is, um, you mentioned, you know, that Kava is not uh, well known here, but actually it's, it's starting to take off. I mean, there's now approximately 300 Kava bars across the U.S. Um, they operate very similar to regular bars, except they don't have alcohol. They operate the evenings and weekends. We're going to try uh, what I would call kind of a new age Starbucks, um, where we offer you know various uh, potions and drinks and what have you, not just in the evening and weekends, but also during the day. Because what we're seeing is that a lot of you know most people are consuming this uh, throughout the day uh, in replacement for coffee or what you know whatever pre workout or whatever. Uh, so that people have the ability to, you know, consume it during the day for productivity. And then it, uh, the space would kind of morph over into a lounge or a bar in the evenings and weekends. Um, and just to, you know, kind of a co-working space during the day to hang out. So we're uh, looking for space to open the first one up in Austin. And then also one uh, here in uh, Venice and Los Angeles my two homes. I can't wait. So uh, as we close out, I mean, the last thing I'd love to share, um, and I know you offered a discount for my, for my audience. um, And I'm going to share that out uh, as we close. But for me, I think one of the other important factors is, you know, I love, I, I really like the name feel free and freedom is one of my core values, but one of the things that I talk about as I'm writing my book is the notion of how, uh, people and places make you feel because I think it's one of the things that we don't pay attention to enough as it relates to our own sort of divine intelligence and intuition. Mm-hmm. And I think we often operate out of you know, intellect, but I think oftentimes not as much out of heart and gut. And that's actually one of the reasons why for me, uh, taking a break from alcohol has been so powerful because I think that alcohol in the past, I've used it in a way as a shield because I'm actually a very highly feeling human, uh, a very intuitive person. And, you know, I would describe it as like when I when I have a drink, it's like it's like being in San Francisco on a sunny day and then the clouds come in uh, and it kind of like sheltered me or, or kind of like, you know, clouded up my feelings. But what I realized mm-hmm. is I actually love those feelings. And I love the intelligence that comes in the innate intelligence that is that feeling. And, you know, obviously now science is correlating, you know, our gut is our enteric nervous system. It's our second brain. It's also where we produce our serotonin, our feel good chemicals. And so for me, feeling is so important. And the way that I feel when I, when I, when I have been taking the product is I do feel a sense of uh, a greater sense of euphoria in a way, a a greater sense of um, uh, excitement and a reduction of sort of anxiety. And I know that you've talked about, you know, people are using it now for performance, et cetera. What do you, what's been the overall consensus or, or perhaps maybe you can just speak up to yourself. How do you feel uh, when you're, uh, when you're taking some feel free. So what's interesting is, is that, um, you know, very early on, uh, I, uh, was introduced to Paul check, who's a health guru, 
right down by San Diego, very old school. Um, and one of the people that I shared this with said, you ought to, you know, take it down to him and see what he thinks about it. And he, you know, I went down to his compound and he tried it. And 20, 30 minutes later, I said, what do you think? He goes, it, it's a heart opener. And, and I was like, eh, you know, <laughs> it's kind of a hippy dippy term. And it didn't really, you know, I listened to him, but I didn't really listen to him. But then I started getting people calling me, you know, telling me that, you know, I had a lady in, in Austin that called me and said, you know, I ordered the product. Uh, she said, I like it, you know, but she said, what I'm calling you about is, she said, I gave it to my husband. I didn't tell him what it was when he came home. And she said, you know, he went in the living room with, you know, two little, my two little girls. And she said about 45 minutes later, the girls came in and said, you know, what's, what's up with daddy, you know? And she said, what do you mean? She goes, well, he's not on his phone. He's laughing. He's giggling. And, you know, he's having, you know, you know, he's engaging with us. And she said, you know, he had become totally distant. And she said, you brought my husband back. She said, he's connecting with the family again. And then it dawned on me that that's what Paul Check was saying was that it's, it allows you to open up and connect with others. Um, and I think the way that it's doing that is it's turning a lot of, off a lot of that me noise in your head and quieting that down the anxiety and this you know the worry about this and that and it's allowing you then to focus on whoever's around you and really connect with them mm. um, and, and i'm getting just literally hundreds of those people calling reporting the same thing a, a lot of professional businessmen talk about how they'll have a, you know, half a shot on the way home and that it really helps them disconnect from the office or workplace to the family. And they're able to really connect, whereas they had a really hard time doing that before. Well, I'll tell you what, my listeners know there's, there's very, very few products that I endorse. Um, uh, my background is not in, in business, it's in, in philanthropy. And, and, um, and so it's rare that I come across something that I feel I really, really want to share, and I'm excited to share. And, uh, and this is one of those products, honestly, um, I've, been, I've been wanting to, you know, I had a vision to create my own elixir some years ago, never, mm -hmm. never, never got around to it. But I'm so glad that you created this. Uh, because I remember actually being at a friend's bar uh, called Apotech in New York City, and she she listed her cocktails based on feeling. You know, one right. was a sedative, one was an aphrodisiac, one was, and it was this incredibly sexy place. And I was like, why is no one creating a bar like this? But just take out the alcohol and and use plants, right. but but keep it as like a super sexy experience. You know, marble top yeah. bars, really well appointed. And so it's been something that I've been uh, wanting to see happen. Uh, for some time. And so it's incredibly exciting that, that this found its way to me. I want to encourage people to join me on the journey. Um, uh, can you shout out the, the website for us, JW? So it's uh, bot botanictonics.com. Botanictonics.com. Or, or you can just, you can Google feel free and it'll pop up. 
That's right. And we're going to do, I think, a, a code for my audience. Uh, I believe it's going to be Peak Mind. Uh, and that will entitle you also to, uh, you know what the discount will be? So it's Peak Mind 40. Fantastic. That's a 40% discount. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. All right. So Peak Mind 40. Right. So Peak Mind 40 for my audience. And guys, I want to I encourage you to pick up a case or two. Join me on the journey. I'm going to do uh, a 30-day no alcohol uh, journey uh, kicking off here in the next two weeks. Uh, and I'll likely probably keep it going. So if you listen to this after that, just send me a DM at Michael Trainer on Instagram and I'll, and I'll send you all the details. But, uh, but JW, it's a real pleasure to, to have you on the show. And uh, I'm yeah, really, I really enjoyed it. It's been a blast. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. Yeah. And I'm excited for us to, uh, to, to get together either in Austin or uh, over there in Los Angeles. Uh, and, uh, and man, I'll tell you what, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan. So I will be uh, continuing to, uh, to use the product and continuing to share the product because uh, it's really been... Uh, a great tool for me. So thank you. Great. Thank you for having me on. It's a real pleasure. All right. See ya.